I'm Matt Williams, and this is the Locked On NFL Podcast. Like every Wednesday, I have Mike Renner with us from Pro Football Focus. We're going to touch on a couple subjects. These Wednesday shows have been a blast. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm surprised you've allowed me to stay on for this long. <laughs> to be very honest, I mean, in the history of this podcast, I haven't done a lot of guests. And mm-hmm. something like my... my uh, followers have asked for more of. I mean, my podcast history, it was always me and Roflo or me and Ross Tucker or whatever. Um, and this is just kind of had a, a sit at the bar and chat with me kind of feel. But I've really dug ta- doing this every week on a regular basis and just digging into what you've been into. Yeah, we don't we don't really have guests on the PFF podcast too, which is something we should look into. But it is uh, it is fun getting you know a little different uh, perspective on things. Yeah, no doubt. Invite me on sometime. I'd be glad to help. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we gotta start having a guest first. We had um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, the AFC. Like I said, I've been doing this a long time, and often this time of year, I make the mistake to say, "Boy, things are pretty well set," or uh, "Looks like this team's easily going to win the division." I mean, we know things change on a radical basis. You know, Aaron Rodgers just got hurt. I mean, big things happen. But I look at the AFC. And are there only three contending teams? Probably, to be honest, at this yeah. point, just there's probably three teams that I would say don't have such severe flaws or could start to put it together in a way that, uh, you know, they won't be extremely flawed by year's end. So, yeah, I think the Pats, Chiefs, Steelers are the class of the AFC at the moment. Okay, if, if we're to get far-fetched, could Tennessee... Can you write a picture in your head where Tennessee becomes the best team in the AFC or Cincinnati or Denver or Oakland? I, I will say I could see foresee a scenario where Denver, I put them in the conversation and I could foresee a scenario where Oakland and I could also possibly foresee a scenario where I put Jacksonville. That's hmm. about the only three at this point that I wouldn't you know, the, that are outside of those top three that I said that could somehow talk you know convince me at by year's end that they have a chance of making it through the AFC playoffs. I mean, Oakland's a train wreck right now, but I would imagine mm-hmm. you were high on them as I was going into the season, thinking they could make noise. No, their the offense, AFC. yeah, their offense disappeared uh, for really no. I mean, there's no. No, nothing you can really point to and say this is why they suck on offense this year. This is right. why they're not nearly as good. So uh, that's that's always like, what do I, you know, they could easily bounce back. It just could just be a fluke through, uh, you know, small sample size. Right. I mean, and I think we agree they have a good line. Carr's a good player, should round back into form. Amari Cooper isn't a ghost. I mean, he should be able to contribute at some point this year. Yeah. But the defense is worrisome. That defense is worrisome, the, and I don't think Navarro Bowman necessarily fixes what's you know what really ails them. There's just a lack of talent throughout. You know, it is Khalil Mack, and then nothing really at this point. And a lot of young guys, you know, like I think Carl mm-hmm. Joseph could be a good player, and a lot of their secondary guys that they've drafted high, I think, could be good a year or two from now. But uh, I thought, speaking of Bowman, real quick, I was on another podcast with Bill Williamson, who does Raiders stuff, and I told him. I think the Raiders linebackers are the worst unit at any position group on any team in the NFL. That is actually, I can get 100% on board with that. I did the, you know, the uh, a review for their game uh, this past week and the week prior. Okay. And I was just like, they have the worst. Just the linebackers were, 
just not playing, you know, not aggressive whatsoever in the run game. And then absolutely no, add nothing to the pass game. They're just, it's like, they're just completely lost, you know. And I blame some of that on the coaching. You can't, you got to make something simpler for guys if they're going to be that slow to react. Just give them something, something to look at because if they're that stuck in mud time you know snap after snap after snap you're putting too much on their plate then at that point so i i, I do think they are all uh, just talentless though to begin not, just a lack of talent to begin with though yeah and they've really ignored it i mean it goes back to reggie mm-hmm. mckenzie and team building and even there's the guys that are played a lot of snaps at the second level for them i don't know what would how many teams they would even make around the league <laughs> you know like i'm not sure they're nfl football yeah. players it's, it's really that bad and they passed up on you know Zach Brown for what two point five million. They paid Zach Brown got paid less by Washington than they're paying Navarro Bowman now, and I, they would kill for Zach Brown at the moment. Or, I think he's, or Reuben Foster, Reuben Foster, yeah, and Conley or something like that. Uh-huh. I mean, they're they're always available. It's not a hard position to get. Yeah. All right. So you had mentioned you've been doing a lot of work on Steelers, and I do a lot of work for Steelers Nation Radio. Um, you've been concentrating on the offensive side of the ball, correct? Uh, I, I did sort of a holistic, uh, I wrote an article this, uh, just yesterday for the Washington post about, you know, is Ben Roethlisberger, are they, can they win despite Ben Roethlisberger at this point? Because it looks like they're going to have to, it was the premise of it. Okay. And I, I was kind of ahead of the curve here in local media saying, I'm worried about Ben, you know, going back to last mm-hmm. year and he's been worse than I've thought. I think people wrongfully said, boy, they beat the Chiefs and he only threw one interception and it was AB's fault. Ben's back. I'm like, I, he didn't play well. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. and, and even the Jacksonville game is kind of the opposite thing where he's played at that same C-minus level all year, but Jacksonville made him pay for it. Mm-hmm. More so than the other teams did. And some bad luck was involved. Um, what are you seeing? Yeah, I, I think we we touched on Roethlisberger's struggles already. Yeah, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, just he is his ability down the field is just not there. It, he's just making bad decisions with the football, and, and and he's not even bad decisions. He's his accuracy down the field has looked like it's taken a step back as well. Like I said, I I don't think he's necessarily a guy who's kept himself in amazing shape throughout his career. He's obviously had a handful of injuries that seem like they're piling up, and it just wears on you. You don't have the same accuracy. When your body starts to, you know, when you're just when you get older, things start to change. And I think it really has caught up to him, all that stuff. And so you get to a point like there was with Peyton Manning 2015, where it's just like he's never going to be back to the same guy. There's no turning back at this point. It's ride it out as best you can. What can you do to fix it? And they really just have to be run first, run all the time sort of offense at this point and they got to use play action more to, to me they that was the biggest thing that stood out there in the bottom five in the nfl in terms of play action usage which it, it makes zero sense it's never been uh you know pittsburgh Steelers it's never been their offense but you got to make it a part of your offense with how this team looks on paper right now because there's they all the strength of this team revolves around Le'Veon bell uh, and that offensive line at the moment. Yeah, and I've been harping on that for years. I mean, I'm pretty sure they were near the bottom of the league in 2016 and play action as well. Mm-hmm. And some quarterbacks don't like it. You know, you know, they don't like to turn their back to the defense. But, it's. I mean, Ben's been around a long time. I think he knows how to deal with it. Yeah. yeah, he knows how to deal with play action. Um, yeah. Other takes on the offense. You mentioned the line. They've had some injuries. 
but they, they're starting to look like they did last year. Bell looks terrific to me. I'm impressed with, with Smith-Schuster. And A.B. might be playing better than he ever has, which is really unbelievable. He's a monster. Yeah. Uh, there's no – he's getting older but not getting a, not losing a step at all. He, he's the same guy he's always been. And that's, that's the crazy part. It's like this often should be <laughs> – you know, you have him. You have Martavis Bryant. And like you mentioned, you have Smith-Schuster. It should be a high-powered offense, and it is not even close at the moment. No, you're right. And last offensive note just to throw out there to the listeners too, and um, – They've gotten very little from the tight end position from a blocking perspective or a yeah. difference-making position. But I could see Vance McDonald taking taking that position over soon. You know, he's the better blocker. He's a better athlete. Starting to get acclimated. Snap counts are going up. Just a little note there. Um, yeah, I would agree. Just, yeah. And I would just say Jesse James, like he's not holding – the, the run-blocking aspect of McDonald would push him ahead just because of how yeah. not really dynamic either of them are. And if you're going to give Bell – 25, 30 carries, uh-huh. give me the better run blocker. You know, I mean, yeah. James is a problem. Um, defense. Uh, the, I talk about Steelers all the time, so I want to hear your thoughts on it. I say this was the side of the ball that I, I was probably a little, I don't want to say newer to me, but I've found more enlightening uh, just what I saw uh, on tape and through the numbers. They are in the top three right now in terms of pressuring opposing quarterbacks, which is it's great. Like they, they, sure. they've been getting after quarterbacks. They haven't been blitzing a ton. They've been blitzing right around the league average, which that's really impressive. Their, their blitzes have been incredibly effective. I think they're number one in the league in terms of when they do blitz, getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. At the same time, though, I can't help but think a lot of it is because some of the offensive lines they faced uh, in the six-game stretch has just not been – no, they've been bad. Competent yeah. quality. They've been bad offensive lines that they're going against, which that helps. That always makes you look good when you're going up against crappy O lines. But they, even the quarterbacks too, like Kaiser holds uh-huh. the ball forever. And, yes, that too. And Kansas City, all three of their interior guys were banged up. You know, like that's a good line, but mm-hmm. their best guys weren't out there. So that's a good point. Yeah. And so, and the other interesting thing was they they sit back and they play zone coverage and almost refuse to play man. They have played zone at almost 90% of their snaps this season, which is like 10% or 10 percentage points more than anyone else. They're just sitting in zone, making you complete, you know, making you get a full drive on them. They just don't want you to throw the ball down the field against them. They, they will gladly give you six yards of pass underneath with the hopes that you're not going to do that 10 times and get yourself all the way down the field. So uh, it's very, Interesting to watch reminded me of sort of the Panthers approach uh, of the past few seasons. Uh, and I, it, it's obviously worked for them. They've been fantastic. But again, it's like, what's going to happen when they do that against someone like Tom Brady is my thing, because we saw what they did. That, that was the, their same game plan in the playoffs last year. And it got torn apart and they've, it's been incredible this year, you know, 17 points per game against, but it's come against, a lot of bad offenses still. Yeah, and since they were eliminated last year, I've been doing a lot of work for Steelers Nation Radio, and never is a conversation, boy, the Steelers going to struggle in the AFC North. It's like, it's how do you get past Brady? How do you beat the Patriots? That's all mm-hmm. anybody's talked about up until the season started. And, of course, it all goes back to, and they've said this, and I know that they want to play more man. I mean, their offseason plan, their preseason plan, Let's get some. Let's get guys so we're more versatile, and they haven't. But I wonder if that's just based on opponent. You know, like I think Burns and Hayden can play man better than they did last year. Yeah, I thought Burns was more of a man corner coming out, and obviously yeah. uh, Hayden early in his career 
was, you know, a he was played the Revis type role where he would shadow and they would play man with him. So, uh, yeah, I think they could play. Like, I don't think they're incapable of it. I think I looked up their stats and they were actually in the snaps. They did play man there. You know, yards per attempt against was fairly good. It was something like under seven and you know, 6.5 or something like that, if I recall correctly, which that's good. But it's not like, but it was such a small sample size that I don't know. Because like I said, they're just sitting in zone uh, all day. I I do like what Mike Hilton brings to the table, though. As uh, We had him as one of our highest ranked safeties out of Mississippi. It's great to see him uh, getting some PT and playing real well for them in that role. Yeah, they like him a lot. They blitz him from the slot a lot. I mean, he's somebody they they really are high on. Um, I had mentioned going into the Kansas City game, I thought the run defense, well, I thought the pass defense was kind of an incomplete grade, you know, going into there because of the people, the, the the quarterbacks they played against. But the mm-hmm. one facet of pass defense I was sure of, more so than in recent years, is I think their pass rush is legit. You know, you mentioned their blitzing and how effective they've been, and that's been true my whole life here. You know, I mean, going since mm-hmm. LeBeau and all those things. But for the first time in several years. They consistently win one-on-one matchups too. Hayward, Tuit, Hargrave, Watt, uh, Dupree. You know that they they beat the guy in front of them without the help of scheme. Yeah, hey, those all those three guys up front are I'd say plus pass rushers for their position, uh, which is that's just huge. When you can get guys in the interior pushing the pocket, that means that's the kind of pressure that while it doesn't translate to sacks the most. That translates in our numbers better to quarterbacks struggle with that in terms of, you know, their passer rating goes down more on interior pressure. So having all three of those guys in there being plus pass rushers is huge. Obviously, Hayward back is probably the biggest difference from a season ago to now. And then Vince Williams has just been night and day difference from what Lawrence Timmons was at the end of his career in Pittsburgh in terms of a blitzer. Timmons had lost a lot of that pop that he had at the beginning of his career. It just wasn't the, ex- the explosion was not there anymore. And Vince Williams, he bring he brings it. You saw what he did against Kareem Hunt back to back, you know, mm-hmm. plays there. He's he's the real deal at linebacker. All right, we are back now with some Giants talk. Um Ben McAdoo is a friend of mine. Him and a, him and I way back when were GAs together at Pitt. Um rooting for him. Things have not gone their way, needless to say. I will say going into that Denver game though, they were a little better than a 0 and 5 type of team. I mean, all their losses were close and, you know, they weren't getting their doors blown off. But I certainly did not see that win coming. I mean, without receivers in Denver, I thought they were going to get smoked and that was not the case. I actually, I actually didn't so I actually bet the them to cover. I was like they fairly didn't. certain. I was I didn't I didn't think they'd win by any means. I'm not sure because I was struggling to find a way that they would actually score. But I was thinking this team can they can stop the Broncos offense like this is still a team with Landon Collins at safety. It's still a team with, you know, Janoris Jenkins at corner. They still have a talented defensive line. It's a good defense still, even though they were 0 and 5. Other side of the ball was where I had the question marks, but I didn't see how the Broncos were necessarily going to score on them. And I think that played out just the way I expected. Not that side of the ball, at least played out the way I expected. Yeah, I mean, when I previewed the game, I basically said, I'm not sure where the points are going to come from on either team. Um, but I really don't know where the points are going to come from when the Giants have the ball. <laughs> yeah, the, the Orleans Darkwood going off was maybe the single biggest surprise of, you know, the single biggest you could not have predicted that of the entire NFL season. Because I, I don't think anyone with what the Broncos were doing to high-level run offenses could have you know predicted Orleans Darkwood would have been the guy who goes for 100 yards. Yeah, and this is a tough question for you. I know you've studied the team. 
And I don't mean to put you on the spot because it's a really hard thing to see and it's only one game. But did Mm -hmm. you notice anything with Ben not calling the plays? You know, I think that was a good move. It paid off. I always worry that coaches are, you know, when the defense is out there, they're not paying any attention to the game. They're thinking about offense. I like when head coaches don't call plays. I would prefer head coaches don't call plays too. I I think it's crazy if you're not in the to be calling plays uh, from the sidelines. Just I I think that whole you just can't see what's going on. What's going on in you know play after play? I think from the all twenty two from the booth, you have just a much better feel for how the game is flowing, what's working, what's not working from the sideline. I I've never understood wanting to call plays from the sideline. Uh, in this singular game, though, it was tough for me to notice any real difference. It's just the sample size aspect and the matchup aspect. I didn't really notice anything uh, off the top of my head. But I do think anytime you can, I, I would not want the coach to be calling plays from the sideline. I think yeah. it's a, always a bad idea. Yeah, no doubt. And you see guys like Andy Reid do it, and, oh, by the way, their clock management's a problem because they're probably thinking about the one side of the ball. Yeah, you know? it's a little too much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless you can put your ego aside and have someone be your clock management dude or whatever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I thought it was – you mentioned Darkwa, and we've seen a little bit out of Gallman too that I do think they've taken a step back and say – we have to run the football. You know, we can't just have these long slant handoffs and expect to move the ball without Odell, without Marshall. No Shepard in this game. At least he comes back, and I think he could get a lot of targets. But I do think philosophically they've stepped back and said, we have to stay dedicated to the run. Made some, They shuffled the line around a little bit. It doesn't look as terrible now than it did before. Uh, you agreeing on that? Yeah, I think moving Justin Pugh to tackle should be a full-time thing for them. With how mm-hmm. bad they were at tackle, for them to not do that sooner, to me, was one of the bigger failings uh, just in terms of Aussie decision-making. You have to realize how just how important the tackle position is compared to the guard position. Even if he is a Pro Bowl-level guard, making him into average tackle is probably more valuable for your team. Yeah, I think he's a better guard than tackle, like you said, but you mm-hmm. get better at two positions by moving him. Yes, yes, exactly. And you, yeah, it's easier to place a guard. And they had, you know, Fluker come in at guard and have sort of a backup at that position. So it didn't make sense to me to to wait this long to do it. Okay. Uh, two more questions about the Giants, and we'll wrap this up. We, we talked about Ben. Is he done? Uh, his fellow classmate, Eli Manning, I've been calling, I've been saying he's done for a very long time. Um, and. The total opposite spectrum, rookie, Evan Ingram. I'm really, these guys really growing on me. I, I think he could be a featured player. I like Ingram. I like him as the new age tight end. I thought where they drafted him was a little high because mm-hmm. I thought with the tight end class, you could have gotten someone like uh, George Kittle or Jonu Smith uh, later in the draft who had similar skill sets. Uh, and it was just so deep at other positions that you didn't need to reach for. I'd, I'd call not tight end just a non-premium position in the NFL, depending on how you use it in your offense. But uh, there's no doubt that if you have him matched up one-on-one with a linebacker, that is going to be that's going to be a favorable matchup for you every single time. Uh, before we get off him and go to Eli, I wonder if Denver could do it all over again, knowing what they know now. I might have just put Talib on him and just treated him like a big wideout. Yeah, uh, probably, because realistically, he's a better wide receiver than what they were throwing out at wide receiver. So, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's not like he's a hammer blocker or anything either. I mean, he's only he's 230, 240 pounds or whatever. Talib can handle those guys. 
He's done that against Gronk in the past. Um, tell me about Eli, and then we'll get rolling. Yeah, Eli, that's the biggest, that's the million dollar question. What do you do with him this offseason? Probably more than a million dollar question, to be honest. Uh, and I just think you have to, you have to address it sooner rather than later and address it with, if not a first round pick, a second round pick or someone in free agency. I just don't think, I don't think you can win a Super Bowl with him anymore. He's just far too inconsistent on a game to game, down to down basis that, Catching that three-game lightning in a bottle, four games, I don't think at this point in his career he's ever going to have that again. If they're 2-10, and ten, are you looking at Webb? I'm not a Webb fan, but the theory's strong, you know. Uh, no, probably right. not. Yeah, I'm still... I don't think he's the I, answer. I, I, didn't, I mean, I shouldn't say that. If you're the GM, you probably just give him a chance, maybe week 16, 17, but it's like I, I, I didn't think he was the answer, so I'm I'm not turning. Like I'm seeing but, if Eli Manning can. I'm giving him every chance he can to to show me that he's still, uh, you know, a viable quarterback. Yeah. S- see like any flash that he's still got it. And he has this game streak going, and you don't want to break that. And but the Giants GM, you know, the Giants GM must like Webb more than we do. <laughs> you know, I mean, they picked him. Yeah, uh, people were calling him. Yeah, people were calling him like a first rounder. I just, I never saw it. So I didn't either. We'll see. I mean, if you don't draft a guy, maybe you could go get a Bridgewater or somebody like that and keep Eli around for. I don't know. I, I think that's a mm-hmm. really hairy situation for the big picture. Yeah, I, I would not want to be. That's the sort of the Brett Favre all over again. You don't want to be the GM that has to make that decision. It's just not going to turn out well for anybody. No, and there's not a great easy solution or an easy path unless the draft sets up that there's somebody sitting there with the fifth pick or whatever that they like. But I think they're going to win a couple games in the meantime. Yeah, I still, though, I could still see them winning only three, only four, and Mm -hmm. getting a top five pick like you mentioned. Yeah, it's quite possible. All right, right. What else you got going this week? Anything else in the works? Uh, I'm going to write up whether or not the Packers are screwed uh, later in the week. And I'm going to write up what what happened to the Saints defense. Why, well, how are they actually good now? What, uh, what's what hmm. been going on there? So that's uh, those will be fun to look into. Yeah, I think you'll really like Latimer, the, the rookie corner. I think oh, really- I, I've said I, he's a top 10 cornerback, in my opinion, already in the NFL. I would yeah. put him among that top 10. He is that good just from what I've seen. And I had a... My evaluation, I'm coming out. I thought he was the best cornerback. I mean, him and Ramsey, I would, I wouldn't give a, either the edge in terms of grade coming out. They were both unreal, like can't miss in my book coming out. So it's good to see him play well. Yeah, absolutely. Saints are fun. All right, thanks again. We will get back to you tomorrow with Twitter Thursday and review or previewing the Thursday nighter. Got a good one this week. So over and out.